All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles, turn to, book of, turn to the book of Philippians, if you would. And, uh, and it is just really good to, heal, to hear your muffled singing this morning. <laughs> it's, it, re- it really is good. I was standing back there with my family, who I've not stood in church with my family since March. That was really nice. Um, I was standing back there singing with you, along with you this morning, thinking about how even in our muffled tones, the Lord is really, really pleased and receives a lot of worship and glory in our, in our song, in our singing this morning. So thanks for singing out, even though your masks are really wet right now. I appreciate you singing out. And I know that's true because mine was really wet <laughs> just now. So uh, Philippians chapter 3 is kind of where we're going to be kind of preaching out of this morning. And we get the joy this morning of talking about something that we all struggle with and really love talking about as well. We all struggle with pride. Uh, We all struggle with this area of arrogance in our lives, and we all love talking about it, don't we? We all love talking about how boastful and prideful and arrogant (laughs) we are. Uh, And listen, we all are. Even the most humble of us have areas of pride or arrogance that we struggle in. Um, and now I'm not talking about like this, this uh, I do this well and I can be honest in, in this doing well, but just, you know, sometimes there are moments or areas of our lives that really are deep down inside of us um, that we just struggle with some pride or we struggle with some arrogance. And so this morning we're going to read through uh, the first few verses of Philippians chapter 3 and see what kind of, where Paul, who was in a lot of ways uh, before his conversion a master of pride, Uh, We're going to see kind of what Paul has to share with us this morning. So uh, if you would read with me Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 this morning, kind of walk through it a little bit, break it down. I think it really breaks down uh, into three categories really well. So we're going to break it down a little bit and then kind of walk through it and see what Paul has to share with us this morning. So the Word of God says this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, we read, finally, My brothers, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, those, uh, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was completely blameless. Then he says this in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, whatever I did to boast myself or to bring myself or to become prideful in myself, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing, here's why, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Man, that is so much more, he says. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we uh, have read your word, and even in your word, it is, it is convicting. At the same time, it is humbling. At the same time, it raises us up in the fact that we, are, uh, we know that we are loved by you. And Father, that in Jesus, we can boast, not in our own works or in our own legalism or in our own uh, prides, but we can boast in the cross of Christ, Father. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would reveal to us areas of pride or arrogance or legalism that, that, are, that are just rooted deeply inside of us. And even now, God, begin, God, begin even to point out where these roots reside um, and how we can begin to chop at these roots of pride and arrogance in our own lives, Father. God, as you revealed these things to Paul, reveal these things to us. God, reveal these things to me in my own life this morning, I pray. God, this morning as we, uh, as we hear from you, God, I pray that you would help me to speak clearly. Um, God, help me to speak clearly. Loose my tongue, and, uh, and God, just reveal to, you, to us you and your word this morning, we pray. It's in your name, in the name of Jesus, amen. So Paul, in a lot of ways here in these verses, he describes his life before Jesus and he describes his life how, in, in how it has changed, what has taken place, what has happened post-Jesus. He describes the, the before and the after. He describes the effects and the after effects of what has taken place in Jesus. The life that Paul describes here is a life uh, filled with pride, with arrogance, with hatred, uh, this is the life that Paul describes here pre-Jesus, a life, a life that is described and defined by legalism, right? Where we look at a rule or we look at a law and we say we're not just going to follow the rule or the law, but we're going to follow the rules and the laws that we place atop the rule and the law, right? We're going to be so good that we're not even going to come close to the rule or the law. This was the life that Paul lived by, the life that Paul described. And he said, if you were to base anything in life off of legalism or pride or anything like this, then I've got you beat. <laughs> then I've got you beat, he says. So he describes this life. And then he goes on at the same time to describe this life change that can only, he says, that can only be brought about by an encounter, a right encounter with Jesus the Christ. Here's who I was, here's what Jesus did, and here's how I am and who I am now. And so, in a lot of ways, this morning, I think we can basically develop this set of verses or break this set of verses down into three basic categories, and here they are. Uh, three basic categories that we kind of break this into is, is, the first one is this, it is, here are the reasons for my pride, right? Reasons for my pride, category one. Category two, reasons for my humility, Paul says, in category number three, here's now my, my, my pursuit, today's pursuit. And in a lot of ways, this is not just um, Paul speaking for his own life, right? But we can implement this in so many ways on top of our own lives as well. So uh, three categories. We'll walk through this and kind of see where Paul says, breaks these three categories down. Again, reason for my pride, 
reasons for my humility and today's pursuit, what I am and who I am and what I am pursuing today now in light of these things. And so here we go. Reasons for my pride. Paul, Paul goes through this and, and he, he kind of outlines several different reasons for his pride, right? Now we're not going to get into, you could go back and read through the law if you so choose this week. Uh, you can go back and read through some of the things that Paul had to follow and needed to follow as a Pharisee, as one who was a, a teacher of the law, a learner of the law, and, and thought that, that's the, that the law was going to save him. But here's what he says. Here were the things that I did, the, 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 man, the, the, the A most important things that I thought were going to save me and make me better. Here's, here's, here are reasons for my pride, Paul says. It starts in verse 5. He says this. He says, I was... Uh, well, let's just jump backwards to, the, to that second sentence in verse 4. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I have more. Okay, this is what he says, starting in verse 5. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin even. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law. I was a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. These are all things that Paul says that were so important okay, to the Pharisees. They were so important. He says, I followed all of these things so clearly, so evidently. Look, we'll just, we'll just name them one by one. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's a reason for my pride. And again, you could go back to the law and see how and why that was so important. I was circumcised on the eighth day. He says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And many of you, if you have a study Bible or a concordance in your Bible, you might have a little letter next to the word. Uh, and that's a great way to automatically go back. If you look down at the bottom of your page, you can go automatically go back to that verse in the Old Testament, right? He says, so two things he gives, reasons for my pride. First of all, I was, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, he says. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, what he's saying is, I was as American as they could possibly get. Merca, he says. This is who I was, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. I, I followed everything as, man, I followed everything as, as everything could be followed. A Pharisee of Pharisees. Here's the fifth one. He says, as to zeal, as to uh, this desire to be, I, I, I took it to the, to the degree that I even persecuted the church of Jesus. This is who I was. I took it to the degree that I even persecuted the church. I even sought out letters to go per persecute the church across the nation. Okay? This is how much, this is how much my pride was rooted, right? I, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless, Paul says. I followed everything, every jot and every tittle under the law. I followed everything. There was not a single thing according to the law that you could look at me, that you could point at me and say, you did not do this, or you didn't follow it uh, to, to the nth degree. He says, no, I followed everything. I followed all of it. Every ounce of the law I followed. These are all reasons for my pride, Paul says. And then look at, look at verse 7. He kind of pauses. He says this in verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, whatever elevation I had, whatever status I had, whatever status I gained, he said, but whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I count all of that as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
Everything that I had, every ounce of gain I had, I counted all as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything that I had, every ounce of pharisaical gain that I had, I counted all as loss. And so we come to their second category. Here are my reasons for humility, he says now. Here are the reasons for humility that I now have. Look back again at verse 8. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, for, for, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so here's, here's, what, he, here's what he gives. We'll just list them again really quickly. Here are the reasons for my humility, Paul says. He says, the first one is this. It is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. <laughs> the, 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 the knowledge that I have in Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus does for me. That, listen, Paul says that I don't have to follow the law anymore. That Jesus fulfills the law. Knowing that Jesus has clarified and fulfilled all of that stuff that I've been studying so diligently. Knowing that Jesus did it all. <sighs> that takes like this huge weight off of me. That I don't have to live into that anymore. He says this is one of the reasons for my, hu for my humility. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Here's another one that he gives us. He says not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ that I don't have to accomplish to gain God's favor anymore. That's nice. That I don't have to do to gain God's favor anymore. That God looks upon me, Paul says, that God looks upon you, Paul says, in favor, not because of anything you've done, listen, but because of Jesus. This has brought about so much humility in my life that I couldn't do anything, accomplish anything for God to look upon me in favor. Jesus has just done it all. Third thing he says, here's another reason for my humility, is that righteousness is what is, righteousness depends on faith. My righteousness is not in my own doing, it's just in Jesus. That righteousness depends on faith. And so here's what I now pursue, Paul says. Verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. He kind of outlines what he pursues, and we'll just outline these things. We won't read it all. Okay, but here's what, he, here's what I now pursue, Paul says. He says, now, in light, of, in light of this revealing of my pride, and in light of this understanding of kind of this new humility, here's, here's what I now run after, strive after. Here's what I'm striving after now. He says, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish, he says in verse eight. I've suffered the loss of all of these things. I've put all of my pharisaical ways behind me. I've suffered the loss of them all. And I count all of that stuff as rubbish. Throw it on the trash heap, it's worthless. It didn't do anything for me, he says. I've counted all as rubbish. This is what I now pursue then is the, is the loss of all of these things. What I now pursue, he also goes on in verse 8 or verse 9, is to be found in him. To be found not in my works. Oh, look, there's Paul. Paul, you know, Paul is, Paul is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He does this, 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 and this so well. Man, look at Paul. Look at Paul. 
Look at Paul. He says, no, 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 no. To be found not in my works, but to be found in Jesus. Now, my pursuit, my goal, my desire is to, man, look at Paul. Look at Paul. Doesn't he look a lot like Jesus? <laughs> he says, that's what I now pursue. Look at Paul. He looks a lot like Jesus. Here's the third thing that he kind of points out. This is my new pursuit now. He says that I may be found in him and the power that, I, I'm sorry, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. One of my new pursuits now is not my legalism, not this pharisaical law keeping, but to know more and more and more about who Jesus is and what Jesus does and the power, the sheer magnitude of his resurrection from the dead. This is what I want to know. I don't want to know what I need to follow and what law I need to keep. I want to know the sheer power and magnitude of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he says. He goes on. He says that I may, this one's challenging a little bit, that I may share in his sufferings. You know, if this is what Jesus had to walk through, this is what Jesus had to endure, then I want to walk like Jesus, and I want to endure like Jesus, he says. This is what I now pursue. He goes on then, that I want to become like him in his death. Man, that he lived a life worthy, right? That, and he didn't just live a life, but he died a death that was worthy. That I may pursue him, that I may become like him in his death. That even in my death, people would look upon me like Jesus. That I may attain, he goes on, that I may attain the resurrection of and from the dead. That I may one day, because of Jesus, be in heaven with him for all eternity. This, Paul says, is what I now pursue. You know, I've, I've been through my prideful stage I understand why I need to act humbly, and I now pursue Jesus, period, and all the power, both of his life, his death, and his resurrection. You know, pride, in a lot of ways, is one of the greatest hindrances to union with Christ, right? One of the greatest hindrances to union with Jesus is pride. In a lot of ways, you could grab a hold of the sin struggle that you have, and if you really root it back... If you really follow the strand along, it is rooted in some type of pride, right? I struggle with this. Well, if I follow that back, it's because I think I'm good enough or deserving enough or whatever that I deserve it, right? All of these things can be rooted back in pride. It's one of the greatest hindrances to union with Christ. Therefore, it's also one of the greatest hindrances to unity in the body of Christ, in the church. My pride is one of the greatest hindrances between you and I. Because I think it should be done this way, because I don't think it should be done that way, our pride is often one of the greatest hindrances in unity, right? And the more pride exists, the more unity will not then. The more I become prideful, the more I rest in my pride or don't combat my pride, the more unity will not exist whether it's in the church or in unity with Christ. The very simply, it's this. It's this, the more pride grows, the more unity atrophies, right? If you've ever had a cast or anything like that on your arm or leg, you know what, what happens when something, when a muscle uh, or uh, something uh, atrophies, right? You look at, I remember I, I had surgery on my right leg and I would look at, when I got my, the, the, the brace and everything off my right leg, I looked at my, my left leg and I looked at my right leg and they did not look like they were the same, they, were, they belonged to the same person, right? The more that pride grows, the more that unity atrophies. Why? Very simply because pride breeds arrogance, 
More than pride breeding arrogance, listen, pride also breeds ignorance. Because in our pride, we think we know better and we're unwilling to listen to anything or anyone else. Pride breeds arrogance and it breeds ignorance. The more we're filled with pride, the more we elevate ourselves above both a seeking world and fellow believers. And so we're unwilling to even communicate in our pride, right? Paul was completely unwilling to communicate with an unbeliever or the church of Jesus prior to an encounter with Jesus. Why? Because he was pride-filled. This is what it does. And so we ask ourselves, in a lot of ways, we ask ourselves the same two questions that we've been asking ourselves throughout this whole series. Um, and they're questions that, man, it just, they help us rest a little bit. Here's the first one. Who is God? In the midst of our pride, who is God? And listen, there is a really, um, at least for me, a really, really life-giving answer, okay? That in the midst of my pride, God is present, Oh, okay. Phew. <laughs> Am I the only one? In the midst of my most pride-filled moments, God is present still. Okay? God is present. Uh, do, do this. Turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 139. Psalm 139, um, verses 7 through 12. I'll give you a second. Psalm 139. Right in the middle, turn to the right a little bit to 139. Verse 7 says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about uh, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. Even in my most pride-filled, disgusting moments, the Lord is present. Okay, good. Even if I run to my pride, listen, there is no depth of the believer's depravity that the Lord cannot redeem. There is no depth of the believer's depravity that the Lord is not willing to cleanse. There is no depth of the believer's depravity that the Lord is not able to cleanse and redeem and use anew and afresh for him and his purposes. This is what the Lord does with Paul. But in all of this, you see, the presence of God exists even in our most pride-filled moments, but... The Lord is not pleased in your grandstanding. You see, the Lord might be near. God is near. The Lord is near. He is present, even in our most pride-filled moments, but that does not mean that he is pleased in them. We can go to Acts chapter 9. We're not going to read it this morning together, but you can go to Acts chapter 9 and read about Paul a little bit more, right? Read about Paul a little bit more in Acts 9, and if you're familiar with Acts 9 at all, you know that that's when pride received, uh, Paul received these letters. I guess his name could have been Pride. But Paul received these letters uh, and to, uh, to go and basically to go and, and, and kill, imprison, do whatever he wanted to the church of Christ. 
And as he's on his way to persecute the church, God himself comes, Jesus himself comes and says, what are you doing, bro? What are you doing? Stop. He gets blinded and he gets taken on this little adventure, right? And so in all of this moment, in all of our pride, even though the Lord is near, even though the Lord, even though the Lord is present, he is not pleased in our grandstanding. He is not pleased in our pride. And so we ask the question, the second question that we've been asking over and over and over is what does God do? Okay, what does God do? In the midst of our most pride-filled moments, what does God do? If he's not pleased, what does he do? And here's what God does. God provides. God provides for us in the midst of our grandstanding. In the midst of our boasting in ourselves, God provides. In the midst of our most pride-filled moments, he isn't just present, but he provides. And if you go back to Acts chapter 9 this week and just read through it a little bit, you've got a lot to read this week if you're going to read the whole law and Acts 9 now. Good luck. But if you go back and read Acts 9 a little bit, you'll see that God provides for Paul in four, four simple ways. First, that he provides for Paul in confrontation. For many of us, in our most pride-filled moments, we're not going to see otherwise until the Lord confronts us, right? Because in our most pride-filled moments, I'll speak for myself, even in my most pride-filled moments, or in my most pride-filled moments, even my wife can't convic- convince me of my, most, of my pride, right? Even my, even my fellow pastors can't convince me of my pride. What, what it takes is, is the Lord. And so what the Lord does in Acts 9 is he confronts Paul with his pride. He also humbles Paul. Mm, that one's challenging because, yeah, in our pride, we need to be humbled a little bit. Hey, guess what? You're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> okay. I mean, that doesn't feel good, and I don't like that. But you're not as good. You're not as holy. You're not as just. You're not as right as what you think you are. You don't know it all. But, but you don't know it all, Jesus says to Paul. You're not good or holy or righteous enough. And then he gives Paul this. He gives Paul a new direction. Go, to do, go do this thing, Paul, the Lord says to, to Paul. Uh, it's time for you to, to, to learn a little bit. And then he also commissions Paul. He sends him out to do something, right? So even, even, in, even in our pride, God is present and God provides. And so our last question is kind of a response question. What do we do then? In the midst of our pride, in the midst of God being present and providing in our pride, what is our response to the Lord? Turn back to chapter 3, verse 1. In the midst of our pride, and as we realize and remember that in the midst of our pride, God is present and God is providing, here's our response. Here's our response to Jesus in the midst of our pride. Paul says, finally, my brothers, here it is, rejoice in the Lord. (laughs) This is our response to God in the midst of our pride and in the midst of God's presence and provision. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the mercy of God over the top of your pride. Rejoice in the provision of God over the top of your, provide, of your, of your pride. We do a whole, yes, listen, listen. We do a whole bunch of boasting but we do a whole bunch of boasting only in the cross of Christ. I do a whole bunch of boasting, but my boast is not in anything that I've done anymore. 
My boast is in the presence and provision of Jesus over the top of my pride. And so we start, or we end, the same way we started. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 9. You can turn back there if you want. Let's stand as we read this again this morning. Jeremiah, chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, (laughs) that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Oh God, for many of us, myself included, maybe we have been convicted deeply of certain prides that have existed or exist in our lives. God, even now we begin to to follow this, this thread, this root, back to a certain pride. God, a sin struggle that is rooted in Father, this morning, for many of us, you have begun to convict. And so, Father, even in the conviction, I pray that you would remind us of your presence and provision, that you are near and that you provide a Savior, Jesus the Christ. Father, help us to believe it. Remind us and help us to live. God, it's just as Paul says in Romans 3, that we would rejoice in the Lord because of the presence and provision of Jesus over the top of our pride. Help us, Father, I pray this week, to simply rejoice in the Lord. We love you. Amen.